In Chase the Lion, Mark Batterson writes that in 1983, Lauren Whitehead published an article about the domino chain reaction. You can picture it in your mind, can't you? You knock over a domino and it sets off a chain reaction that can knock down hundreds of dominoes in a matter of seconds. But the unique significance of Whitehead's research was discovering that a domino is capable of knocking over a domino that is one and a half times its size. So a two-inch domino can topple a three-inch domino, a three-inch domino can topple a four-and-a-half-inch domino, and a four-and-a-half-inch domino can topple a, well, you get the point. Here's a picture that shows you that it actually can happen. By the time you get to the 18th domino, just the 18th, you could knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which probably wouldn't be very hard because it's already leaning, right? I mean, it's not so, so fair. <clears throat> the 23rd domino could knock over the Eiffel Tower. And by the time you get to the 29th domino, you could take down the Empire State Building. That's the force that's generated just from a tiny, what, two-inch domino. Wow. In the realm of mathematics, there are two types of progression, linear and geometric. Linear progression is 2 plus 2 equals 4. By the way, if anyone's told you differently, it does equal 4. Just anyhow. Geometric uh, progression is compound doubling. 2 times 2 equals 4. If you take 30 linear steps, you're 90 feet from where you started. But if you take 30 geometric steps, you've, you've circled the earth 26 times. Faith isn't linear. Faith is geometric. Every decision we make, every step we, of faith we take has a chain reaction. And those chain reactions set off a thousand chain reactions we aren't even aware of. They won't be revealed until we reach the other side of the space-time continuum. So we're going to be see how Joseph's faith was geometric and not linear. It was going to have an incredible impact on the future of the nation of Israel. So his faith is going to just, it's going to push out into hundreds and hundreds of years uh, later. Amazing. When I think about, you know, geometric faith, uh, I think about just trusting God by faith for our future. Uh, Judy, Judy and I have uh, uh, have done, uh, a, have made a move multiple times, as most of you know. Uh, we've told you about those. We moved from Florida to Ohio after our oldest son was born without having a job already lined up. We were taking that step of faith. We did the same thing when we left California, but we didn't know where we were moving to next. Uh, from Florida, we knew we were moving to Ohio. From California, we didn't know where we were going. But God provided, right? We took those steps of faith, and he was faithful uh, to us as we took those steps of faith. We trusted the Lord with our future when it came to having children. And we especially had to trust the Lord with our last two children because of complications. As a body of believers, you know, every one of us has probably ha has a story of how we had to trust the Lord with our future, whether with job, our children, with our health or finances. And we can continue to trust the Lord with our future from here on out as individuals and as a church. Joseph had been faithful to the Lord throughout his entire life from the time he was sold into slavery at 17 years old until 110 years old when this narrative takes place. Joseph experienced the blessings of the Lord in every stage of life and especially now with having lived a long life. Joseph had faith concerning the promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
So he was able to trust God with full, to fulfill those promises. His final words express an incredible faith in the God who had sustained, protected, and provided for him. And we learned through Joseph's example, our big idea today is that we can trust God by faith for our future. And so let's just commit that to the Lord in prayer today. Lord, we just come to you today. We thank you that we can look back into the past and see, maybe even to the present, Lord, and see your faithfulness to us. How you have blessed us and taken care of us, Lord God. How you have sustained us how you've protected us, how you've provided for us. And Lord, I pray that we would just look back to that in the times where, where we're confused about the future right now, when we're fearful about the future, when, when our faith is, is wavering in the future, Lord God, because we don't know what's going on. But Lord, help us to look back. Help us to remember and trust you by faith for the future. And so, Lord, I pray that you would allow that... Um, that big idea to just resonate in our hearts and minds today. And would you bring encouragement and strength through it? And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming to the end of about a two and a half year journey through the book of Genesis. Can you believe it? We started our journey back on January 24th of 2021. A little over two and a half years. It's been a wonderful journey as we looked at the 10 instances of the Hebrew word, Hebrew word toledot that we translated as the history of, the generations of, the account of, or the origins of. That's where we get our main theme for the book of Genesis, origins. And so we've traveled through the following accounts in Scripture. The heavens and earth, you'll see them all listed there. We, we looked at the account of Adam's line, and then we looked at the account of Noah's line and, and Noah's son's line before we moved into Shem's line and then Terak's line. And we continued our progression through the book of Genesis in these different accounts as we looked at Ishmael's line and then Isaac's line, Esau's line, and finally Jacob's line, which is where we've been since chapter 37. And so let's look at the final verses of this foundational book of the Bible as we end the book of Genesis today. And so, we're going to look at three points today. Family, faith, and future. And so, as we think about family, let's look at verses 22 to 23. And this is what God's Word says. Joseph stayed in Egypt, along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. So, what do we see here? We see Joseph's age, first of all. Joseph stayed in Egypt with all of his father's family after his father Jacob had died. So he lived to 110 years old, but let's just think about the different stages of Joseph's life. He lived in Canaan for 17 years, right, before he was uh, taken by his brothers and sold into slavery into Egypt. So he had spent those 17 years in Canaan, probably loved life there. He had that beautiful uh, coat of many colors. He was 39 years old when his father Jacob moved to Egypt and reunited with him. He was 56 years old when his father Jacob died, and he lived almost a whole other half-life of 54 years in Egypt following his father's death. The age of 110 was considered to be the ideal lifespan by Egyptian culture. He had reached that precipice, and which just signified God's completed blessings on his life because he had been faithful to God. 
We see Joseph's generations here as well. Because of his long life, Joseph was able to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. The third generation of Ephraim's children would have been his great-grandchildren. He also got to see his great-grandchildren through Manasseh's son, Machir. I know how excited our parents have been to see their great-grandchildren. It brings them great joy. My parents were just up here. Well, they're still in Pennsylvania right now. They're going to head back this week. But they, we got to spend time together as a whole family uh, for Judy's birthday. And so they got to see their great-grandchildren and just to see the smiles on their faces. You know, it's incredible. They love that stage of life. So being able to see our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren is a sign of God's blessing. We see this throughout Scripture. In Psalm chapter 128, verses 5 to 6, we read these words. When, uh, may the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, and, and uh, may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. <clears throat> In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6, we read these words. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Isaiah 53.10 tells us this. Yes, it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. So this leads us to our first principle today, that God blesses those who are faithful to him. In Joseph's life, he was blessed as a youth with dreams from the Lord about his future. That his brothers and his parents were going to bow down to him, right? He didn't hold a grudge or waver in his faith after being mistreated by his brothers and sold into slavery. He held on to his faith. He did not allow a false accusation to deter him from working hard and remaining faithful to the Lord in prison. God blessed him with the ability to interpret dreams while in prison, and he remained faithful to the Lord after being forgotten by the chief cupbearer for two years. Joseph remained faithful to the Lord after being promoted to second-in-command in Egypt and having everything he could have imagined. Think about his life. It wasn't an easy life until later in life. But he remained faithful through it all. He remained faithful to his heritage by giving his sons Hebrew names instead of Egyptian names. Joseph experienced God's blessing throughout his life. And finally, God's blessing on Joseph meant long life and the ability to see his great-grandchildren. Now, God blesses, uh, his, God's blessings on those who are faithful to him can be varied. I just want you to understand that today. So the blessing of long life is not necessarily a universal principle. Because we've known people who love the Lord and were sold out to him and ha- you know, had faith in him that went home to be with the Lord early, right? They didn't get to see maybe even grandchildren, definitely not great-grandchildren. So this isn't a universal principle, long life. It may come in other ways throughout our lives. We might see God's blessings. How many of us can say that it's been a blessing from God to see or hold our great-grandchildren? And for those of us who have not reached that blessing in our lives, how have you seen God's blessing in other ways? So I want you to think about that today, and then I want you to consider taking this first next step, and that's just to praise the Lord for His many blessings as I've been faithful to Him. So we need to do that. We need to praise the Lord for his many blessings. And so I want you to take time today just to kind of to focus on that, to think about that today. How has he blessed me? And boy, I want to take time to praise him for that today. And it's never too late to choose to be faithful to the Lord. 
Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, wow, I, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord. It's never too late. Maybe you're here and you're like, wow, I've kind of slidden back a little bit uh, in my relationship with the Lord and haven't really been faithful to Him. It's never too late to just say, today's the day. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommit my life to the Lord. So don't let that hold you back. It's never too late. He can and will bless you for making that decision to be faithful to Him. We see here, too, that Joseph followed in his father's footsteps by adopting some of his great-grandchildren as his own. That's what's meant when, uh, by Makir placing his children on Joseph's knees when they were born. This was kind of that commitment, the, this official ceremony. And this was it was a common practice in the ancient Near East. We think back to Joseph's mother, Rachel. She did it with her handmaiden, Bilhah's children. She took them on her lap as her own, Dan and Naphtali. Saw that in Genesis chapter 30, verses 3 to 8. Jacob took Joseph's two sons that were born to him in Egypt and adopted them as his own. We saw that in Genesis 48, 5 to 12, that he took Manasseh and Ephraim. We also see in Ruth chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, that Naomi took Ruth's newborn son Obed and laid him in her lap and the women living there said this, Naomi has a son. And so Joseph experienced the joy and blessing of being able to see his great-grandchildren. Joseph's faith extended beyond his past experiences to a future that he would never see. I want you to think about that today. He knew that he could trust God by faith for his future, and we can do the same. So because of what God did for him in the past, Joseph said, I can trust God for the future, even a future I'm never going to see. And so we see his faith here in verses 24 and 25. Look at those verses with me, if you would. When Joseph, uh, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. He has this incredible faith that God's going to do what he said he was going to do, right? He didn't waver. And he's like, when this happens, take my bones with you. I don't want him to remain here in Egypt. So Joseph's faith, uh, he has this faith about the future. As Joseph neared death, he wanted his brothers and their relatives to have the same faith in God and confidence in his promises that he had. And so Joseph was the second youngest son, so Benjamin surely outlived him, and maybe some of his older brothers did too. Joseph probably viewed his surviving brothers and their children as one and the same. So some of his older brothers probably had already passed away, but their children were there. And Joseph mentioned the exodus from Egypt 360 years before it was ever going to happen. They're not even thinking about that, right? But he mentions it here. At this particular time, Joseph and his family were still regarded highly by, favor, by Pharaoh and the people of Egypt, right? Pharaoh said, I'll take care of your family out there in Goshen. Joseph took care of his family too. Uh, during that entire famine and then into the future, they were being taken care of. But a time came when the new Pharaoh did not know about Joseph, and he forced the Israelites into slavery. And we see the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 22, mention this passage when he writes these words. 
By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. So the writer of Hebrews was saying, hey, he knew about all this stuff. Warren Wearsby says, faith is in a shallow emotion that we work up by ourselves or an optimistic, quote-unquote, hope-so attitude of a, quote-unquote, faith in faith. True faith is grounded on the infallible word of God. I don't want you to miss that today. Those are powerful words. Our truth that we adhere to comes from God's word, not from our culture, not from our politicians, not from any judge. It comes from God's word, the infallible word of God. And that's where our faith needs to be grounded in. And because God said it, we believe it and act upon it. True faith leads to obedient action. James writes about this in, in chapter 2, uh, verses 14 to 26. Listen to God's word here in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want uh, evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith uh, was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So that's what Wearsby is saying here. It's like this faith is, it's not a shallow emotion that we work up, but it's uh, grounded in the infallible word of God. And it leads to obedient action. And we have this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're motivated to do those things, right? To take care of others, to love others to have the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives. Now, I don't know about you, but I wonder if Joseph's brothers and their children even understood what he was saying at this point. It's like, why would God need to come to their aid? <clears throat> they were living a really good life at this point, right? Everything was provided for. They were, they, why would they need to return to the land God had promised them on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they're in Goshen, which was the best pasture land that Egypt had to offer? I wonder if they were just confused, like, what are you talking about? This old man is senile, right? He's just talking gibberish now. Like, when God comes to our aid, when he takes us back to the promise, what is he talking about? Fortunately, they listened to and passed down Joseph's instructions from generation to generation. They took him seriously. <clears throat> Perhaps some of them were not caught off guard by the change in their status before the new Pharaoh. They remembered Joseph's instructions from hundreds of years before. 
They knew that he was a man of faith, a man of God. And so Joseph mentions God's oath about Canaan. It was an oath God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If we look back at Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 to 16, we see the original promise to Abraham. It says this, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Hmm, wonder what country that is. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for uh, treated 400 years. But I will punish the nation uh, they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come uh, back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. This whole promise was talked about way back in Abraham's time. And Abraham says to his son Isaac, hey, this is what God said, don't forget this. Like, our people are going to be foreigners in another country at some point, and they're going to be mistreated and, t- and taken into slavery for 400 years, and then God's going to bring them back here. Don't forget it. Isaac says to Jacob, hey, by the way, my father told me this. I don't know why, but here, I want to pass this on to you. It must be really, really important. So he tells him the exact same thing. Jacob does the same thing then with Joseph. We see all that in Genesis chapter 48, verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. All of this is happening because of God's hand, right? It's a testimony about God that this promise was accepted by each generation by faith. Joseph, like his father, grandfather, and great-grandfather, trusted God by faith for their future, a future none of them would see or experience. And with an incredible faith in God's promise about the future, Joseph makes this request. He made the sons of Israel swear an oath. This wasn't new to Joseph because his father had made him do the same thing. We saw that in Genesis chapter 47, verse 31. He was putting them under oath because he did not want his bones to remain in Egypt. He made them swear that when God came to their aid, that they would carry his bones up from Egypt to the promised land. They obviously swore to do that, uh, what Joseph was asking, because we see the fulfillment of this oath by Moses and Joshua. Down in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, we read these words. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then uh, you must carry my bones up, from, uh, up with you from this place. And then in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, we read these words. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the track of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. So what a testimony to the faith and influence of Joseph that his request was remembered and fulfilled after 360 years. Think about that for a minute. How many of you, just raise your hand today, how many of you remember a request from one of your relatives from 300 years ago? Do any of you even know your relatives from 300 years ago except for Pastor Mark because we already know? (laughs) He knows all of his relatives from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Anybody know your relatives 300 some plus years ago? All right. How many of you can even remember a request from your grandparents? Do you remember a request from your grandparents? Something they ask of you? Guys, today, how many of you can even remember the request your wife made just last week or yesterday? 
We have little computers in our pockets now, guys. I mean, you shouldn't be forgetting requests. I mean, I put notes in mine, so, and they remind me, it's this, hey, don't forget to take your medication. Hey, don't forget to do this. Hey, don't forget to do that. that I try to get my kids to do that, too. <laughs> Children, how many of you are even listening to the request that your parents or grandparents were making of you this morning? Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I'll stop meddling. We'll keep moving. <laughs> Joseph had faith in God who was able to fulfill his request even after several centuries. Isn't that phenomenal? We can trust God by faith for our future. Now, that's our big idea, but it's also my second principle today. What are you struggling to trust God with concerning your future? Where are you at today? Are you struggling with whether to, which college or university to attend? Maybe you're struggling with that as a high school student or even as a college student. You're like, I'm not sure I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm not sure I'm studying what I'm supposed to be studying. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my future. Maybe you're struggling to trust God with your future occupation. Like, what trade am I supposed to be in? What industry should I work in? Maybe you're struggling today um, with family. As a single person, you might be saying, I'm just struggling to trust God by faith for a future spouse. Maybe you're struggling with having children. You're like, I'm, I'm struggling right now to, to know about my future children. Maybe you're struggling with your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren and the paths that they're taking today. And you're having trouble trusting God for the, their future. Maybe you've been dealing with some health issues and you're like, I... I'm really struggling to trust God with my future health. Will I ever feel normal again? Maybe it's financial struggle you're dealing with today. And you, all you see is a dark tunnel. You don't see any light at the end of that tunnel. How am I going to get out of this deep hole? Maybe you're struggling with our economy. Will I ever be able to buy a house? Will I have enough money to retire? Maybe you're struggling today to trust God with the future of our country or the world. Maybe it's the environment. Or perhaps your struggle today is with something spiritual. Trusting God with your future. Maybe he's calling you into ministry or to missions. And it scares you to death. But can you trust God for your future? Maybe you're having uh, struggles with trusting God for the future of a family member who's not a follower of Jesus. And you're like, are they ever going to believe in Jesus and give their lives to him completely? What I want you to understand is God's <laughs> character today he is loving and just he is all knowing and sovereign and eternal so what does all that mean for us in our future. 
First of all, it means that you're precious to him. He loves you dearly. Second, it means that he wants what's best for you. That's his justice, right? He wants what's best for you. He's going to discipline you if you're not going down the road that's best for you. It means that he knows everything about you, even when we don't understand what he's doing. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24, we read these words. The Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? Right? How many of us are like, I just want to know. I want to know the future. I want to know where God's leading me. I want to know what's going on. I don't want to have to just trust by faith anymore. I just want to know. Right? Most of us are in that, in that realm, aren't we? Like, I want to know. But here it says, the Lord directs our steps, so why try to understand everything along the way? Just trust Him. It also means that He has the right to rule, and He rules rightly in our lives. That's His sovereignty at work. And it means that He knows the beginning from the end. He knows your whole story. He's eternal. And so today, maybe you're ready to take this next step of faith. Or this next step, I should say. You can trust Him by faith for your future. And whatever it is, there's a fill in the blank today on the back of your communication card. But what are you going to say? My step today is to trust God by faith for the future of. What are you going to trust Him for today? Because you've been struggling with it up to this point, right? You've been struggling to trust Him with your education or your occupation, with your family, with your health, with your finances, with the economy, with our country or the world, with the environment, or with something spiritual. Write that down today. Joseph trusted God by faith for the future fulfillment of his request. And in verse 26, we see the future. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Uh, It was a waiting game at this point for the future. Now, we're not told how soon Joseph died after asking his brothers and their children to swear the oath. We know with Jacob that right after he gave the final instructions to his sons, it says, Scripture tells us that he drew up his feet into his bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. He died right away. So we don't know. Maybe maybe Joseph died right away. Maybe it was... Uh, At 110 years old, he uh, died a few days later, a week later, a month later, we're not told. Now, it talks about the fact that they placed him in a coffin. Hamilton says this, the word for coffin, which is aron, the word used for the Ark of the Covenant. Isn't that interesting? Same word. Ginsburg says this, all this time in the desert, uh, Israel carried two shrines with them. The one, the coffin containing the bones of the dead man, Joseph. The other, the ark containing the covenant of the living God. The wayfarer who saw the two uh, receptacles wondered, and they would ask, how doth the ark of the dead come next to the ark of the ever-living? 
The answer was, the dead man enshrined is in the one fulfilled the commandments enshrined in the other. Have you ever thought about this before, that the Israelites carried Joseph's sarcophagus, his coffin, through the desert for a long time? <laughs> I never thought about it until I got here, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Mark, can you believe this? Like they're carrying around this dude's coffin all through the desert. <laughs> Something else. Isn't it significant, though, that Joseph... fulfilled the commandments that were enshrined in the Ark of the Covenant before they were ever given. Ten commandments weren't even given yet. And yet he lived a faithful life, didn't he? And God blessed him, gave him long life. Pretty incredible what he did there. So what blessings do you need to praise the Lord for as you've been faithful to him? Just like Joseph. What future items do you need to trust God for by faith? As a body of believers, what blessings do we need to praise the Lord for as we have been faithful to Him? What future items do we need to trust God for by faith? In December of 2016, a ride at Knott's Berry Farms in California became stuck 148 feet in the air. <clears throat> Some of you, that's your worst nightmare, right? There were 20 people on board, including seven children. Firefighters tried to reach the stranded passengers by using a massive ladder, but it was too short. Fire crews had no choice. They would have to lower each passenger from 148 feet in the air, harnessed to a single rope. Fire Captain Larry Kurtz, some of you are like, nope. I, nope. Just, I'll die up here. <laughs> nope, not doing it. <laughs> Fire Captain Larry Kurtz said, It sounds scary, but we have very, very strong ropes that have 9,000 pounds of breaking strength on them. He was building the faith of those who were trapped. He was giving them information that if believed would dissipate their fears, it was up to each person to believe what he said and place their trust in the firefighter. Let's zero in on one of the youngsters and say that his name was Luke. He's seven years old, old enough to feel terror as he looks at the ground 148 feet below. The firefighter looks Luke in his eyes and with a steadying voice says, Trust me, Luke, I won't let you go. Your life is very precious to me, and I will have you down before you know it. Luke listens to him and thinks about the very, very strong rope. He believes the firefighter's reassuring words and trusts him completely. This is his only hope of getting to safety. If he doesn't have faith, then he doesn't believe that the firefighter cares for him. He would, have then, he would then lose his only hope of reaching the ground. <clears throat> Faith, hope, and love are bound together. Luke and all 20 passengers were lowered safely to the ground just before 10 p.m. that night. You know, as we face the future, we have to have faith in an all-powerful God who created us and thinks that we're very, very precious. He has provided for us in the past, protected us in the past, sustained us in the past, and now we can, by faith, trust him for our future. And as we move into the book of Exodus, we'll see that the Israelites had to have faith in an all-powerful God who would rescue them from human bondage and then from sin's bondage. So come back next week as we start in the book of Exodus and learn uh, the theme for that book is rescued. 
Would you just bow your heads with me as we commit this to the Lord in prayer, as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings and the communication cards, and as the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song. Lord, we just come to you today. We just thank you for your word and the power of it. We thank you for the example of Joseph and how he just trusted you by faith for a future that he was never going to see. And Lord, you accomplished everything. You kept uh, your promises to them that you provided for them, Lord God. You came to their aid. And then, Lord, you, you brought them back, back to the promised land. So, Lord, we're just grateful that we can trust you to do the same thing in our lives because we've seen you do it in the past. Now, Lord, would you just allow that truth to sink deep within our hearts and minds and we just commit ourselves to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.